Hello everyone, this is episode 11 of I'm Not Complaining. I'm just asking. Welcome back to the podcast. We've been watching quite a bit of movies lately. Um, not that that's any breaking news. Um, pretty much my entire life is made up of viewing movies and television and it's just what I enjoy. Um, but we've been watching mm, quite a few, I guess, I wouldn't say sci-fi necessarily, but, uh, having to do with other worlds or superpowers, um, we were watching the movie Avatar, which, as you may or may not know, the storyline for Avatar contains the fight for an element that is on the planet, the element unobtainium. And then we're watching the Avengers. And within the Marvel Universe, there's an element called vibranium. And then in the music world, there's a song called Titanium, which is by Sia and David Gouda, which has nothing to do with anything except it rhymed. <laughs> And I just thought I'd mention it. <laughs> what? Were you disappointed that the Sia song was not used in any of the Marvel movies? I really think it was a missed opportunity for a remix. You, If you look at the lyrics, it really works, especially for the Marvel Universe, because the element vibranium is a fictional metal that absorbs, stores, and releases large amounts of kinetic energy. And if you look at the lyrics, shoot me down, but I won't fall. I am titanium. Drop the beat. It would work. What about starships? are meant to fly the Nicki Minaj um I mean sure why not put them all in there mix it up otherworldly songs yeah now that's what I call music that could be repurposed volume two. Oh. but anyway I in our la in our last episode um we did quite a bit of singing um when it came to television theme songs, which I'm sure everyone really enjoyed. It's kind of like our own little personal karaoke jam session. And you know what karaoke always reminds us of, Kara? Say what? Say what karaoke on MTV. I loved Say What Karaoke so much. Say what? Say what karaoke sounds like. Everyone is off key. <laughs> Ethics are amazing. Say what karaoke for me was my introduction to karaoke other than Billy Crystal singing Sorry with the Fringe on Top. Oh, and when Harry met Sally. Yeah. Singing karaoke is so much fun in your car. I mean, you have James Corden now 
Carpool Karaoke, which is a huge hit, and people really seem to enjoy that. But you have to go back 1998, Say What Karaoke on MTV. The television show. Can I get a whoop whoop? <laughs> bounce with me, bounce with me. Get you, get you, get you, dance with me, dance with me. Was stuck in my head on repeat all day, every day for the intro and outro of that show, which came on right after MTV TRL mm. with Carson Daly. So Say What Karaoke um, was hosted by Dave Holmes. And do you remember Dave Holmes? I have a picture of him in my mind's eye where he kind of looks like a grown-up version of Corey Matthews from Boy Meets World. <laughs> like, that's what his future was. He was going to be a VJ on MTV. Now, what is a VJ? A video disc jockey. Okay. I always thought that Dave Holmes was the same person as the lead singer from Smash Mouth. And I was like, wow, that guy's got two jobs? He's the lead singer of Smash Mouth. And he's got a hit TV show on MTV about singing karaoke songs, which included All Star. Which, he, he they're not the same person. I, I found that out, like, a couple days ago. And I, whenever I have in my mind's eye um, the lead singer of Smash Mouth, I confuse him with the lead singer of the Mighty Mighty Boston's, And I also confuse him with uncle cracker but still i still say that you have never seen uncle cracker and the lead singer smash mouth in the same room at the same time so it, it could be like a what's his name the country western star that tried to have a rock career oh so that's like a real garth brooks chris gaines situation going on it might be so Dave Holmes was the runner-up, the second-place winner of the original casting call, real-life TV show of So You Want to Be a VJ. Apparently he did, and apparently he was. And you know why he got picked? No. Because of his extensive knowledge of music culture. Good for him. Yeah. So Dave Holmes got a show about music as that was his first VJ job in 1998 after he um, was on the reality show So You Want to Be a VJ. And Say What Karaoke was on, I feel like they just went to a seller comedy, stand-up comedy uh, the only thing they plastered over was the fake brick wall. So cocktail tables, a little stage on little tiny risers, and they would get maybe 50 people in the audience. In studio audience. The contestants that would be on the show would lip sync to their favorite songs. In front of a panel of celebrity judges. 
Now, I use the term celebrity judges very loosely. I'm using air quotes because it was whoever happened to be stopping by the studio that day, up-and-coming artists, other VJs, people that they were MTV was trying to push on their other shows. So there were individual single people getting up and singing and dancing. There were groups of friends who thought that they should be the next boy band or girl band or dynamic duo. And the panel of celebrity judges, there were three. And each judge was in charge of scoring a certain part of the performance. So the first judge was accuracy of the lyrics okay. of the song. The second judge was of style. And then the third judge was scoring performance. Mm. So there were two rounds for each show. Again, it's only half hour long. And there were three musical acts per episode. And so Dave Holmes would give a little introduction. The people would run through the cocktail tables and up on stage. They have the old school ball head mic and round one was a song that they picked mm. and knew and were ready this is what they had been preparing for in front of the mirror and things like that yes and they would perform and they would sing live to a karaoke backtrack and on the screen for the viewers at home. Would be a bouncing ball lyrics. Mm -hmm. And they would either just sing the chorus or it was a, the chorus and then a verse or a verse and chorus. I don't know if they cut down the whole song for time, but that's all I remember. And then they would, the judges would score and say, okay, thank you very much. Let's go over to... You know, Christina, Christina, what, what what did you think of the performance? And then they would give a little bit of a feedback and they would hold up a scorecard. It's possible that during the taping that they uh, had them perform the entire song and then when they went into the editing room, maybe they just chose the chunk that was the most entertaining. That's possible. And each judge would hold up a scorecard that would rate them or score them on a scale of 1 to 10. Mm -hmm. So total points possible was 30. When I was thinking and reminiscing about Say What Karaoke, and that's all I could remember about it, on YouTube, there's only three or four very crudely recorded old school camcorder recording of the TV, of the episodes. MTV has tried to wipe this show from everyone's memory because it was so ridiculous and if you made it through the first round mm -hmm. you then went to round two which you got to choose a new look choosing the look for round two 
was a closet and a selection of wardrobe provided by MTV. Mm -hmm. So costumes and clothing, hats, accessories, were feather boas, sunglasses were provided. And then they would come, the musical acts would come back out and they would have to spin the karaoke wheel of death. Oh, sounds ominous. So it's almost like the the wheel is like, you know, spinning the wheel um, for casino night. And it's like got the pegs and you spin it and it's got the little tongue that's on the top. <laughs> and it the wheel would have a variety of songs. Mm -hmm. And it was made by particle bo with particle board and glitter glue and things like that. So you have songs, R.E.M.'s End of the World, Metallica's Enter Sandman, Buster Rhymes' Dangerous, and of course, everyone's favorite, Smash Mouth All-Star. <laughs> so you would spin the wheel, Price is Right style, and whatever song the wheel landed on, that was a song that you had to perform for the second round. There was also a pie wedge on the wheel that said judge's choice. Mm. And the judge could pick either a song that was on the wheel mm -hmm. or they would just say, hey, sing this song because we are... This is on a cleared list of MTV hits that the that artists are pimping out currently. Yeah, they, they can't just say, you know, don't uh, s sing, tie a yellow ribbon around the old, old oak tree. <laughs> <laughs> and my thought process about spinning the karaoke <clears throat> wheel of death, they didn't change that song, the song selections on the wheel all that often. So if you were a fan of the show and you watched the show, mm -hmm. and if you wanted to win, it was in your best interest to learn those songs on the wheel. Right. There were so many acts that I remember that would be totally and completely lost. Contestants would either be fumbling over themselves, had no idea, and would just mumble and fumble through it, or there were contestants that were prepared and they would just nail it. Mm. And the one that most commonly that I remember people faltered on mm -hmm. was Hungry Like the Wolves. Mm. And some of these people were like, I don't know what that song is. How do you not know what that, what that song is? Duran mm -mm -mm. Duran. But Say What Karaoke was on for four seasons. It was on from 1998 to 2002. Mm. When you would win each episode, you then got added to a list okay. of, quote, champions, karaoke champions. Yeah! And then at the end of each season, at spring break, they would bring all the contestants who were winners from each episode, and they would do a karaoke tournament champions tournament at the spring break house mm. mtv spring break house and it was live and on stage 
with the guest judges and people had to sing into the hot wind and elements in front of the giant pool party. <laughs> and then you would be crowned the karaoke champion. Nice. I don't know what you got. I'm pretty sure it was not a car. It was oh. probably just a t-shirt. And just said, ah, thank you. Maybe it was a crudely spray-painted microphone. <laughs> not bedazzled like Taylor Swift. The Spring Break House was located Daytona Beach, Cancun, <laughs> Panama. Oh. Panama! Panama! And then, towards the end of the reign of the MTV Beach House, was actually here in San Diego. Okay. And it was for college kids. Like, yeah, it was supposed to be. It was supposed to be, yes, absolutely. <laughs> but when... The Summer Beach House first started, MTV was where musical acts, legit musical acts, wanted to perform and showcase their new singles, their albums. So in 1986 to 1998, it was actually a legitimate summer music concert series mm -hmm. with a huge stage like Coachella on the beach mm. and they would record live performances on the big outdoor stage with a crowd mm -hmm. and then they would show those on MTV like an unplugged or special event mm -hmm. and then in 1998 we start to see this shift in new executives Younger executives trying to make MTV cool and hip mm -hmm. to a younger crowd. Mm -hmm. So they shifted gears, and in 1998, they decided to do a beach house overlooking Daytona. And so they rented these big, huge, multi-million dollar mansions, mm -hmm. and they would build a giant stage that led up to the infinity pool. Oh, okay. So then that started allowing the, the VJs and celebrities and having this pool party, pool house, dancing pool parties with willing participants in humiliating contests. Mm -hmm. So that became the new A fraternity, um, sorority lifestyle type of thing. Yes. And... The most memorable thing about the MTV Spring Break were the outdoor stage performances. Mm. And this is when MTV was in cahoots with all the major record labels at this time, trying to figure out what is going to be the hit summer song. We get introduced to a lot of artists that I don't think without the Spring Break platform would have ever gotten to the height of popularity. We have a grown man with silver spray-painted hair. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure he was wearing um, a puffy 
silver vest and like silver pants and tennis shoes. It was a very silver surfer type of vibe, look-wise. It's Cisco. Scandalous. So scandalous that I went to a public high school. The DJ was banned from playing that song. The infamous song. The infamous song, it starts with a T. And we're not talking about the ones that go on your feet. The yeah, it's not, we're not talking about sandalous. <laughs> <laughs> He's saying scandalous, not sandals. If we're going to talk about pandemonium, screaming girls, people having poster boards and signs and doing anything possible to meet these pop stars and celebrities, we gotta talk about the craziness and pandemonium that took place every day at 3.30 in Times Square. Uh, are you talking about Total Request Live? You are such a square, Heather. It's TRL. Are Nobody she... says Total Request Live. It is TRL. Do they say Turl? Tur no. Oh, okay. Too much? Too much. It's taken up too much airtime. Like you said, time is money. So TRL was started in 1998 as well. So these new executives are trying to figure out how to reduce production costs and make as much revenue and money as possible. And how are they going to do this? We're going to jam pack every day when students are coming home for school at 3, 3.30, 4 o'clock to the 5 o'clock hour, we're going to have these half-hour jam-packed blocks of entertainment relating to music. Okay. So they had a five-year plan. So starting in 1998, they're trying to capitalize on the popularity of, quote, reality shows. So the first reality show that MTV does is The Real World. And then, so you want to be a VJ where we get Dave Holmes. And now we hire a young man, a young radio DJ known as Carson Daly. It's his origin story. It is, yes. So Carson Daly was kind of doing a radio show like Ryan Seacrest took over for... Casey Kasem. Mm. So he was in charge of the top 40 hits of all genres that were on the Billboard charts. What what was gaining popularity? He had his finger on the musical pulse. Yes. And Carson Daly actually worked in New York. He was on a local radio station in New York. And MTV is also their headquarters is in New York City. Okay. Specifically, their offices are in Times Square. It's all coming together. In the same building that MTV headquarters had office space, mm -hmm. a bank had vacated the second story that overlooked Times Square. This sounds like the beginning of a plot to Ocean's Eleven. MTV thought 
wow, our headquarters are here. We have people coming in here to do interviews anyway. What a great space that we could utilize here in Times Square. They get the lease. They build a studio with floor-to-ceiling windows. The first show in the new space is called MTV Live. No studio audience, rotating cast of VJs, and our new star in the sky, Carson Daly, to talk about the hits that are trending on the radio. Studio execs introduce the summer experiment of 1998. So this is the Summer Beach House, new shows, new content, and they launch Total Request Live, TRL, and the Carson Daly Show. Carson Daly gets a full hour. Two shows, full hour, to talk about music, present what's popular, and to push songs of new and young artists in this new untapped demographic. The Countdown Show, TRL, started at 3.30 p.m. and it was live on air. Again, we're the studio execs are trying to make low production, low budget, with high income, high ratings. TRL was not built for a studio audience. It was a soundstage with windows and a desk and it was Carson Daly, a camera, and the floor director. That was it. It was a three-person operation. And TRL quickly turned into American Bandstand meets Twilight. And they're focusing on the audience of adolescent girls who spent roughly $60 billion annually. So we're talking an age demographic of babysitters, small allowances, and they can go to the concerts, they can buy t-shirts, stickers, swag to put on their, in their lockers, and things like that. And on the first show, we have Backstreet Boys' I'll Never Break Your Heart <laughs> and NSYNC's Tearing Up My Heart. There you go. I mean, there you go. 100%. And a live studio audience, again, was never part of the plan. They just started showing up. Because once people started watching the show, they quickly figured out what windows were the windows of TRL. It was like they were sending out a bat signal. It was like a goldfish bowl. <laughs> Carson Daly was in a goldfish bowl with floor to ceiling. Uh, windows. Windows. That overlooked Times Square. So TRL's co-creator, Tony DeSanto, had a great idea, pitched it to the executives and said, we need to, if this is going to be a live show, we need to have audience members. And the executive said, absolutely not. Again, we need to keep it low budget. And Tony DeSanto went out and paid actors and extras, put them outside on the sidewalk in Times Square. Him and other producers created signs 
bought glitter glue and things like that, gave them to the paid actors and extras, and had them hold up the signs and scream when we lifted the shades to start the show. And we had Carson Daly look outside and go, oh my gosh, look at all these people, look at all these fans. And that was our plan to convince studio executives that there should be a studio audience. And TRL literally took off from there because once people saw there was a place and the chance that they could be brought in studio, people freaked and flipped out. And so they started showing up in droves. And TRL is actually the origin story of the quote shout out. The, the term shout out? The term shout out. And there was a segment on TRL from the first episode that was called The Shoutout, and it was a 15-second recorded message from a fan before their favorite musical act or video was played. Genius. Yeah, so what, uh, what I remember was they would, full on screen, they would start playing the music video, and then Tiny in the corner would be the live cam of an audience member holding, or out on the street, holding a cardboard sign of the band that they love. And they're right up in the face of the camera. They're very excited and there's people behind them jumping up and down, sh shoving, trying to get also on camera. And <laughs> it'd be like a, a young lady, very excited. She'd be like, yeah, um, I just wanted to say that I, requested this video because um, Inseek is the greatest band ever and I love Justin Timberlake so much. And what was great <laughs> is they had 15 seconds and whether or not they got their message across, they cut they it. Cut, they cut. <laughs> hard cut, hard cut. And there are a lot of other TV channels and shows that are filmed in New York that follow the same format. Now you've got you, uh, Today Live. All the morning the shows. The morning shows. They all Good morning, have glass. America. Yes, they all, all have glass with people holding signs and wanting to get on the show, get on camera, have their, you know, 15 seconds of fame. Right. So TRL quickly became the must stop in New York for celebrities and tourists. Okay. And. In spring break of 1999, the Backstreet Boys were releasing their album Millennium, and MTV had a special called Backstreet Boys Live. And they were there for three days, <laughs> three consecutive days, and they shut down Times Square because between five and eight thousand teenagers descended upon the streets of 1515 in Times Square and like they were going to call out the National Guard they couldn't get it under control because it was the Backstreet Boys Live and TRL for a lot of celebrities was absolutely terrifying because it was a live show yeah there's no take two 
I don't know about you guys, if you have ever had to be interviewed, just in general, not even for live TV, but just a taped recording, even like this podcast, I know that Heather's had to remind me to not have my, quote, on-camera voice and cadence. <laughs> it's really difficult to be yourself, and in my head, I have to say... Don't be weird, don't be weird, don't be weird, don't be weird. Things just come out of your mouth and you it's that word bubble that you want to shove back in and be like, no, no, why did I say that? This is my one chance. It's horrifying. But TOL was terrifying for a lot of pop stars and musical artists and especially celebrities. They're used to... They have the questions ahead of time. They know what their canned responses are going to be. And they can be calm, cool, and collective and think of what they want to say. People would say something absolutely horrible or that they would drop an F-bomb. Oh. And it's kind of like SNL where there's only a like a very short delay. There's oh, like okay. a five-second delay. And if you have this bubblegum personality and they get touched by the live audience and they tell them to, you know, back the bleep off, which happened uh, with Fred Durst. Oh, no. The one person that actually thrived and did really, really well, an unlikely character on SNL, was Eminem. SNL? One character that actually... He's not a character. Or... He's a person. He's a, he's a human. He's a human boy. He's a real boy. <laughs> he's, a human, he's a man. So at this point, they've decided to let real fans with real signs and real enthusiasm sit in on the live taping. Oh, no. they. There were places that you didn't sit. They had to stand. Oh. behind the line, like Disneyland, where there's the parade, there's a light-up strip of tape with people with headsets that are trying to keep the wave of audience members okay. back from the cameras and the celebrities okay. and the talent. Eminem, when he had his first appearance on TRL, he came into the studio... And he immediately walked up to the windows <laughs> and he looked down on Times Square and he was silent. And they're like, I don't know what he's going to do. Why? Carson Daly's like, hey, man, uh, you know, why don't you talk about your. And he turned around and he was crying. Aww. He was moved to tears because he couldn't believe how many people had actually come to see him in the middle of the day and he was overwhelmed and overcome with emotions that he was just like oh my gosh guys this is so amazing and it kind of was like a make or break moment for a lot of these up and coming artists that if you did well on TRL you were going to do well in this new pop boy band adolescent girl demographic who were spending all this money 
and you know that you've officially made it when Saturday Night Live does a spoof and a satire about you and your show. Do you remember what what they did? Yeah, I believe that they had Jimmy Fallon being Carson Daly, uh, which they said an insult about Carson Daly, which we won't say here, which wasn't really... I don't think it was necessary, but it was all in fun. And then the guest was a character of a fictional band called Gemini's Twin, which was supposed to be a parody of Destiny's Child, um, which, of course, had Beyonce. And that was played by Maya Rudolph and Anna Gasteyer. Yes. And a <clears throat> rotating cast of special uh, guests. Uh, hosts played the third member. Um, Charlize Theron was um, one of the... Gemini's twin? Wouldn't that make them triplets? We don't... That's part of the skit. <laughs> that is part of the skit. That is part of the skit. Oh Correct. So TRL hit its peak in 1999 and the average viewership was over 850,000. So they got rid of the Carson Daly show and just stuck with TRL. If you're getting that many hits on a live television show that is played on the East Coast and then it's replayed for us here on the West Coast, we would be rushing home to see it. And I had a friend who had satellite TV and we could watch it back to back because it would have the East Coast play and then the West Coast play. Oh my gosh. It was amazing. Were they ever any different? Were the two yes. were the two versions different? Yes. It had the same musical guests and countdown but the bumpers to go into the commercial breaks often were different or the shout-outs were different, huh. or the pan and scan of the audience was different. So I think that if it didn't get... It's like when you're doing stand-up comedy, or if you listen to our last podcast and you're going to a live taping, sometimes things don't go exactly the way you planned. They filmed enough. Mm. That they could re-rack it and rework it in that time period. That once the show went live, they could re-edit and recut the front part or the beginning of the show or the commercial breaks for the West Coast. Mm. And TRL ran for ten years, wow. recording two thousand two hundred and forty-seven episodes. And it ended in 2008. Mm. Carson Daly left in 2003. And then had replacement guest VJs after that from 2003 to 2008. Videos graced TRL for a maximum of 65 days. And then they were, quote, retired. Mm. In order to allow for space for new songs and new artists and new music videos mm. because they had to come up with a format 
that you couldn't have a certain video or a certain single be on the number one or the top ten countdown mm -hmm. for months and months and months because the next single would get released from that artist's album. And so when a video would get retired, that artist or the musical group would then come on the show to, quote, retire it. And then they would, on the same episode, the same day, reintroduce their new single mm. and their new music video. Sounds good. Because all the fans that were there to see the retiring of the video, they were also there to see the celebrity. And at the same time, they could see the new song, the new music, music video. And then they could go walk across the street to Tower Records. Oh, and do a signing and there. And do a signing. Yeah, sounds good. So, everybody benefited. And the final show was on November 13th, 2008. With guest appearance, Seth Green and the All-American Rejects. Okay. And that show showed the band and Seth Green breaking down <laughs> the entire set. Oh my gosh. It is not on YouTube. I couldn't find the video, but that is what Seth Green described as the death of TRL. And the show plays out by the VJs turning off all of the lights in the studio. It was the end of an era. And they played out the last show with the top ten most iconic videos. Over the run. Over the run of the ten years that TRL was on TV. Number ten was Outcasts. Hey ya. Nice. Hey ya. Number nine was Blink 182's What's My Age Again? And is that the music video where they were visually, they were parodying the, the private jet on the airstrip and the wind machines and everything? You mean all the boy bands, Backstreet yeah. Boys? Uh -huh. That would be the video that you're referencing is I Want It That Way. Yes. They also parodied In Sync, Christina Aguilera, Britney Spears, LFO, and a couple other musical acts. Number eight was Usher's Yeah, Yeah, Yeah. Number seven was Beyonce and Jay Z's. Crazy in love. Oh, wow. Yeah. Crazy in love. Uh, okay. <laughs> that was like... <laughs> I, I don't know. Um, yeah. If, if you've never heard the song, I don't think that would help. They'll be like, wow, I... I don't know what that, that song, song is. That and... sounded like Justin Timberlake being one of the Bee Gees. Oh, gee. Yeah, no. Mm-mm. Number six was Kid Rock's Ba with the Ba. The bang, the bang, diggy, diggy. Not the ump jump the boogie to the beat. I think that's another song. Oh. But number five was Christina Aguilera's Dirty. Number four 
was in sync's bye 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 where they are marionettes uh-huh. with strings number three was backstreet boys i want it that way number two was eminem the real slim shady and number one britney spears baby one more time they played it in its entirety and it faded into black but there were a lot of other networks that tried to capitalize on the top 10 music video countdown i know that cmt the country music channel bet and vh1 also had a top 20 not even a top 10 Mm, yeah, they had, I believe they're top 20, and that wasn't even a show. That was just a block, to my memory, uh, just a block of 20 music videos um, that were pulled from the Billboard uh, Top 100, I believe. Um, and I believe that was called The Morning Buzz on uh, VH1. So it would be in the morning time when you're getting ready for work, and you could see the top 20 most popular videos. Yeah. But I watched TRL from its infancy, along with Say What Karaoke, that started in 1998. I was in the seventh grade, and I watched those shows through high school. And after I graduated high school and went into college, I did not watch TRL anymore. So that demographic that I, that they were, they, they got me hooked. That's what they were shooting for. And I know every girl that I went to school with in middle school and in high school, they watched TRL. Mm. And if we weren't home at 3.30, we would record it. And now, when they do the live countdown, the New Year's Eve show, mm. MTV still has a New Year's Eve countdown show using that studio. And they've built stages. They do the live unplugged performances in that studio. But that show made so many artists' careers because of the music video. It gave them a platform to be funny. Yeah, connect with the fans, humanize them. Yes. For sure, make you care, make you um, feel connected, want to support them and their music. And if you weren't nice, your career well, was going to have a rough go. Well, I guess it just depends on your the persona that you're wanting to project. Like, if you're supposed to be, you know, rough and rugged and that's how you acted, then you'll probably be fine. I think your career will last longer if you just acknowledge people. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm not saying you have to, you know, stop your limo when you're trying to leave the arena and sign 500 people's posters mm -hmm. or things like that. I'm just saying you could poke your head out of the top of the sunroof the sunroof it'd be like yeah thanks for coming yeah. just an acknowledgement and there have been plenty of times where the acknowledgement has been enough yeah the l less conversation exchanged the better yeah the acknowledgement of the high five 
or the, hey, I know you, you know, just a little point when they're on stage of like, hey, I, they may just be staring into the darkness in the void. They might not see me at all, but hey, I, I felt special. Well, I know that Carson Daly and uh, the people of TRL felt special in the year 2000. In the year 2000, in the year 2000. For the TV Guide Awards, where they gave trophies in many categories celebrating excellence in television. The TV Guide was still in existence in the year 2000? It's correct. So the TV Guide is still in existence today. The TV Guide Awards, um, I believe, started in 1965. And they did it for a couple years, and then they stopped. And then in 1999 through 2001, they started up again. So as of the recording of this podcast, the TV Guide Awards no longer exist. But in the year 2000, when they did, there was a category called Favorite Music Show. And the three nominees were TRL, Behind the Music, and Pop Up Video. Pop Up Video. So... TRL, of course, was on MTV. Behind the Music was VH1. Pop-Up Video was on VH1. Behind the Music is a documentary-style show um, that would chronicle a band and, you know, tell about their, their origin, their career and history, and sometimes um, what the band, the band members were currently doing now. And then pop-up video would show, in each episode, they would have five music videos. And throughout the music video, pop-up factoids would appear about the artist and the making of that video. So it would pop up and it would say, this video took five days to film and cost $20,000. And then they'd be the artist would like be in front of a wind machine or something. And they said they used five wind machines to create this effect. It was cute. It was fun. I enjoyed it. Anyway, it's the night of the awards ceremony. And they read the card. The winner is T-R-L. And I cannot remember if Carson, I assume Carson Daly accepted, went on stage to accept the award. Or perhaps it was... The executive producer goes up on stage, accepts the trophy, is about to start making a thank you speech, and one of the people from Pop-Up Video runs up on the stage, pushes the winner out of the way, and begins making an angry rant about how pop-up video should have won and this is a joke and just, you know, insults all around. And then I can't remember if he was forced off the sage or if he just ran away. But I believe Carson Daly talked about it later and he goes, you know, that was really uncool 
and really disappointing because we work really hard on our show, just like everybody works really hard on their show, but we won. So you couldn't just let us have our trophy and our minute in the sun. It was kind of like a Kanye West, Taylor Swift, Beyonce had the greatest video of all time. It was, and I don't know which came first. I really don't know. Because this happened in the year 2000, and I don't know when Taylor Swift became a thing. I know she was born in 89 because she has an album called 89. But other than that, I don't know. I know there are Swifties out there losing their mind right now because they know it all. They just but, had flashbacks. But I don't think they're listening to our podcast right now because she uh, just came out with a new album. So they got their little earbuds full right now. So um, we might be safe for a while. But um, yeah, I'm sorry I don't know the extensive history on Tay-Tay or T-Swizzle, but... Um, I yeah. do, but yeah, I, it was shocking, I, shocking. It's like, really? And he had even gone through the trouble of printing out a cardboard little sign that looked like a pop-up from the pop-up video. And it had a little cartoon icon of a gun <gasps> and the factoid he had said how had a statistic of how many robberies occur in New York City in a single year. And he alluded to that fact. He's like, this is just a New York City robbery. And it was just like, way too far. Way too too far. Sorry. Come on, man. Sorry to burst your bubble. (laughs) But I say thank you, Carson Daly. And... MTV for giving us the musical content that we desired Mm -hmm. so much and the joy of watching the premiere of music videos and music videos being retired and giving the chance to artists to really be those one hit wonders Mm -hmm. because there were so many great artists that came out of the TRL Mm -hmm. era. It gave them that new platform that if the song didn't hit on the radio, it might get the hits after the music video because it was intriguing or interesting or expensive or fun. This is before TikTok. This is before YouTube. This is before all of that. If you could be Fun, interesting, and most importantly, entertaining. You made it. As I mentioned before, I was the demographic that MTV was focusing in on to get all of my monies. I bought, I would say even today, 50% of the music that I own, I purchased between 1998 and 2000. Oh yeah, I mean definitely for sure. When you are of, I would say between the ages of 12 and just starting college, the popular music of that time stays with you the most, I feel. It's the most influential. I feel like just, it's just where your head's at. 
you're still open to new things. You're willing to absorb and give things a chance. Also, the radio at that time, if something was a hit, they would play it every hour on the hour and it would just ingrain in your mind. You could remember the chorus. You could remember the hook. And it still stays with you to this day. And that's, that's true of any age. Um, when you were, if you grew up in a time where you listened to the radio for entertainment, uh, be it in the car or Your at home. Box. Yeah. So like, you know, and that's a whole topic that gets covered um, in the documentary about the history of Tower Records. Um, which I also recommend you check out if you haven't seen it. It's called All Things Must Pass. And Colin Hanks made it. He did. And it's really, really good. I, if you enjoy music, um, you would really enjoy that film. But I feel like anyone, like the era of your preteen to teen years, the music that was popular at that time will stay with you forever. And you feel nostalgia when you hear those songs whereas someone who did not grow up in the era they might not necessarily think that it's good music they probably think it's garbage and that's fine everybody has different musical tastes but it just it hits you different the boy band era the musical group era the end the turn of the new century the bridge into the 21st century Mm -hmm. was an experience and trl was there to record it all and bring it to you live the award-winning trl (laughs) back streets back you guys this has been episode 11 And if you could see me right now, you would see (laughs) that I am holding up a cardboard sign using glitter puffy paint, writing out the words, thank you for tuning in. We appreciate you so much for writing reviews, giving us star ratings. Um, On certain platforms, we're not able to directly like and thank you for leaving a review but we're doing it here um we so appreciate it the fact that you guys are enjoying it keeps us going so special shout out yes to all our fans out there yes thank you so much and this has been i'm not complaining i'm just asking